What's up, everybody? It is Thursday, May 3rd. This is Rafael Garcia back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I want to say thank you, everyone, for joining us today. As usual, you can like and share our content by first subscribing to our YouTube channel over at MMARatings.net. Um, you can catch us here on YouTube. Catch us on Stitchers, uh, SoundCloud, and a couple other places. But as always, please be sure to like our video here and subscribe to our content because we appreciate you taking the time to do so. Um, I am Rafael Garcia, and Swan will be joining me in a minute here. I'm trying to get him into the show as usual as we do every single Thursday but yes he will be um, joining me in uno momento but we don't have as much to talk about today because it's, it's a kind of slow week in mixed martial arts we don't have any fights this weekend we just had a Bellator card last weekend that we were going to talk about but oh look at that Sean's in faster sooner than I thought how you doing there, sir I'm good how about yourself doing good medicine here Relaxing on this Thursday evening, man. How, how, how are you doing over there? Everything going good your way? Yeah, I'm good. I just was sitting in on a kid's practice, and now I'm taking off so that I can get this show knocked out. So before we get into MMA action, I got a question for you, man, basketball-related here. So yeah. having a conversation on Twitter today about coaching vacancies in the NBA and seeing how you have beautiful daughters that play the game of hoops what do you think about the idea of one Becky Hammond being an NBA coach? Well, I'm from San Antonio, so I, I'm actually a big fan of it. Uh, I think she, I mean, she's been under Popovich for years, and pretty much if you're under him, that's almost like a gateway, walks you in, into a coaching job. She was a guy, she already had a couple offers by now. I guarantee you that much. Guarantee it. Yep. Almost everybody, uh, there's like four, five, six teams that have general managers head coaches or at the worst lead assistant coaches off from the first tree like working with Popovich for an extended period of time is like guaranteed that you're at least going to get a shot a shot maybe two to run a team if she would like I said if she was a man she'd already have a job even as we speak she would have one right now well all right man I'm, I'm not going to uh argue that point there so let's go ahead and uh see Let's go ahead and talk some MMA this week. So we got a lot of news, a lot of fight announcements to talk about. No uh, big, big action um, scheduled for this week. But I do want to look back and talk about what happened last week where at Bellator 198, we got to see Fedor come, I mean, I'm not going to say come back, but step into the cage once again. And this time he puts away Frank Mir, first round knockout. Uh, what are your thoughts about this fight there, man? Um, tell me what you saw. Are you surprised? Did you care? You know me. I'm not a heavyweight MMA guy. So did you care about this fight? Were you surprised? Did, did this make you excited? we got a couple of things to talk about here. What, what are your initial thoughts? Well, for the larger picture, it's actually pretty good for uh, Bellator because Fedor has a fan base and he draws attention. So him winning is actually a benefit for them because it's going to guarantee some high ratings, and it's going to guarantee world coverage of their event. They really needed him to win. Frank Mir is a legitimate, established former champion, but he doesn't have the fan base of Fedor. He doesn't have the reach of Fedor. He doesn't have the 
I guess you want to say MMA political slash, slash political pro position that Fedor has. So Fedor winning, in my opinion, was very important for Bellator. Secondly, um, I was I was interested in seeing it just because the fight should have happened like 10 years ago. But it was interesting seeing the guy from UFC who was at one point one of the top two heavyweights of all time in the UFC facing against the guy who was the best heavyweight in pride, pride history. So just for that purpose, historical purposes, it had a lot of interest in it for me. Uh, as far as the fight went, it, it pretty much went the way I thought it would. The main issue with me was, is Frank Mir going to be able to take any sort of punishment and then recover from it well long enough to put a fight on? Because we know he has the stand-up skills and the grappling skills to put Fedor in danger, to finish him, to set up some takedowns, to get him up against the fence. The question is, what would happen when Fedor touched him? And that was essentially what happened. He came out, he landed that kick, he dropped Fedor, and when he tried to clinch up and he was going to overwhelm Fedor with strikes, what really won Fedor the fight was that throw. When Fedor threw him, that's, that's when everything unraveled for Frank Mir. He wasn't expecting Fedor to go into his bag of trips, tricks as far as grappling. He thought Fedor was going to exchange with them. And when Fedor threw him, that threw him off. And then from that point on, he was just winging shots. And it looks really sloppy because Frank's not sharp. He hasn't fought in two years. Fedor's not as sharp as he used to be because he's older. But if you pay close attention, Fedor was watching each and every one of those shots. And he was moving just out of range to avoid him. And he was gauging his distance with that hook to see if he had it. He missed it once. He missed it twice. When Frank overcommitted, he sidestepped, hit, landed the hook. And then it was just putting in the coffin nails with some ground and pound from there, from there on out. So it wasn't a magnificent performance. He's obviously lost a step. But as far as like his IQ and his mind, he showed a lot to me. I mean, he was managing the distance with his footwork. He was timing Frank, and he was gauging Frank's tendencies so that he could land the right shot. He made mental and technical adjustments that a lot of heavyweights right now still can't make. And if he continues to do that, he'll, he'll probably win this. He'll have a good chance of winning this tournament. So... Let's talk about the tournament there. Next, we got Chell Sonnen up next for Fedor. Is this an exciting fight to you? A lot of people are talking about this is the biggest fight that the or that the uh, tournament had to offer. What are your thoughts about this here? Well, as far as like the media, you know, Chell Chell can sell a lot of fights, and this actually is going to get a lot of burn because Chell, you know, after losing to Tito so quickly, he beat Van he beat Vanderlei by decision, and then he goes and beats Quentin Rampage. So right now, it makes Chell look like you know he's he's really got something left and that he's a threat to beat Fedor, if not by knockout, at least be able to out-hustle him to the decision. So coming off of two consecutive wins, Chael's got a lot of momentum behind him, and now he's going to have an opportunity to get on the biggest stage and really sell a fight against a guy who was once the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world. So you know he's going to be able to sell the fight, and when you have a guy like him, that's going to get over to ESPN. I'll get over to Fox Sports. I'll get all over worldwide. So it's a perfect combination of a guy who's got worldwide reach and a guy who's got a very rabid fan base and enough charisma and charm and understanding of the sport to make even a fight that's really past its prime or does, is more of a sideshow fight into a fight that's going to draw as much or more interest in more legitimate fights. This is, a, this is the best case scenario for Bellator. Scott Coger had to be praying on his hands and knees that he would get this fight. The only thing better would have been if Kimbo, Kimbo Slice, God rest his soul, would have been in this tournament and would have made it through round two, round one to fight Fedor for round two. That would have been a fight that would have shut down the internet and sold all sorts of sponsorships and, and space for Bellator. What do you think about the potential fight if Rampage would have beat Chell? Uh, if Rampage would have beat Chell, I don't think he can beat Fedor just because if Fedor comes out and he uses the full range of his skills, that's the, that's the problem. 
Fedor has lost a step. And the reason that he kept getting beat is because instead of using the – he actually did it. He did, he did what everybody does in reverse. Most guys don't learn skills until they start losing a step. Fedor in his prime was using all of his skills. He was transitioning from striking to, grap- to wrestling to grappling. He was throwing guys. He was tying guys up. He was fighting in the clinch. He was fighting in range. He was using angles. He was circling away. He was counterpunching. He was leading. And as he got older, he started realizing he had knockout power. So he stopped, he stopped using all skills and basically relied on his movement and his chin to hold him up until he found the right opening to land the bomb. And that's why he kept getting beat by other guys. Now he's getting back to using his full array of skills. And if he uses that, Rampage wouldn't have anything for him. Now, in a straight-up slugfest, Rampage is 50-50 with Fedor, but if Fedor is going to be using takedowns and um, the Rampage I saw against King Mo, the Rampage I saw against Kale Sonnen lose probably by submission. Kale Sonnen is actually a tougher matchup because Kale, even though he's not bigger, has been one of the few times. You're, you're, you're cutting away a little bit. You're cutting away a little bit. Oh, sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, um, cutting away uh, a little bit. Got me? Yep. Okay. Kale's actually a tougher assignment. Because usually Fedor is a smaller heavyweight and he has a huge speed advantage. He'll be more explosive than Chael, I think. But Chael should be a little bit quicker. And with that heavy wrestling pedigree, um, you know, especially in the scrambles and stuff, Fedor won't just have the advantage of just throwing him or taking him down and laying on him and going to work with ground and pound. Chael, in theory, should be able to scramble and should be able to take Fedor down and kind of push the pace and see if Fedor's conditioning can hold up. I don't think he can knock him out. I don't believe he can submit him. But I think if he pushes enough of a pace and starts chaining takedowns, he can really put Fedor in a position where he can out-hustle him to a decision. I don't think that's what happens, but it's within the realm of possibility. Because like I said, Fedor's used to having that huge speed advantage. He should not have as much You're still breaking up, dude. Okay. How about this? You got me now? Yep, much better now, much better. Um, right, so... I'll just say in short, going, Chael's size is going to help him against Fedor because Fedor will not have that huge speed and agility advantage he usually has against guys like uh, an overweight Rampage, a big and inactive Frank Mir, even to a degree uh, some of the other guys in the in the division. Chael's size should help him be able to push a pace and his grappling and wrestling should enable him to have the opportunity to out-hustle Fedor to a decision. I just don't think that happens. I think Fedor ends up stopping him, but if Fedor goes back to just loading up for bombs and trying to stalk, um, Chael will win a decision, and he'll win a decisive one. Um, what are your thoughts about Frank Mir, though, man? Is he is he done? Is he is he complete? What do you do with him? I don't think Frank Mir is done. I think he made, and, and I thought this before because I put it on Twitter, but I think he made a big mistake. When he got thrown, that really offset him. He was not expected to be thrown like that. And then he just went into, I'm just going to try and run this guy over with power. Frank Mir doesn't have the chin or the recuperative ability to just go out and bomb on somebody. He has to be meticulous and careful in his defense and how how he sets it up. As long as he's being defensively responsible and meticulous with his offense, he can still beat guys. He's got enough skills on the feet. He's got a decent enough wrestling. And he's got good enough grappling where he can finish a lot of guys just based off experience and skill set. The problem is he doesn't have the luxury of opening up and getting in firefights or exchanges because he just can't take a really good shot anymore. So Frank comes in and he's very disciplined. He's very smart. He's got his footwork, his parries, and his entries as far as clinch attempts and strikes working. 
he can beat a lot of guys right now. He just doesn't have a very much room for for error. He's he's kind of like a a lesser version, a less athletic version of Overeem. And Overeem's been able to put wins together because of his experience, his athleticism, and his attention to detail as far as defense and not taking big shots. And Arvlowski recently putting two wins together, doing the same thing. Careful, good footwork, timing takedowns perfectly, um, offensive striking, very carefully offensive striking. It's not going to open him up to counter big shots. You're pressing up again, man. You're pressing up again. I'm just thinking Frank just has to be very meticulous in what he does. He has to be very specific. He doesn't have the freedom of being wild and crazy with his shots or his aggression. True, true. I definitely agree with you there on that. Um, but what heavyweights would you put him up against next? Would it be like a Czech Congo? Do you put that fight together? Uh, do you put him in there with someone else that loses in the uh, tournament? How do you use him? I think Frank should really take a step back. I think they should give him something. But he, I don't know that he should. I don't know when he'll get his next fight on Bellator. I think he should take a step back and take a couple easy fights. He hasn't fought in two years, and he's at what thirty eight now, thirty eight or thirty nine. Being out for two years, that's not doing anybody any favors. I think he. I think he needs to fight a lesser opponent, somebody where he can get his timing down, someone who's got an obvious flaw in his game where he can exploit it, and then kind of put some wins together to get his timing reinstall everything he's doing and then go back up in class right now it's just been too too long a time off and he's you know like i said he lost all that weight trying to get ready for the fight he, he wasn't to me he wasn't in the right mental or physical condition to be in a fight under these kind of circumstances everybody else in the tournament had been fairly recently active except for frank yeah that, that's definitely really true there uh heavyweight mma in, in Bellator, is it in a better or worse place than heavyweight MMA in the UFC? As far as the quality of fights, it's probably in a worse place, the quality of the fighters, because the UFC still has some young guys, Blades, Willis, even Sherman, some guys who have some potential and athleticism and experience. But as far as actually like fan bases and drawing attention, Fedor is worth almost every heavyweight they have. And the UFC, he's known more than Stipe Miocic, and Stipe is a champion. And you know, King Mo's not a heavyweight, but they use him as heavyweight. He's a bigger name than almost every other heavyweight they have there. Even Frank Mir. Frank Mir's got a fan base. Um, even Matt Mitrion, to a degree, he's as popular as any other heavyweight they have in the UFC. As far as the quality, no. The age and the youth, no. But as far as, like, right now, bang for your buck, drawing ratings and, and eyes, Bellator's ahead of the curve with the UFC. True. True there. True there. I'm not going to argue with that. Um... My next topic point when looking back at Bellator 198 is the man, the myth, the legend, one Dylan Dennis, who picked up a win over, man, I don't even remember the guy he fought, but he was tuned for. Was it Kyle, Kyle Walker? Uh, Something like that. Your guess is as good as mine. But he picked up <laughs> a win via toehold. Uh, and, you know, this fight, it went kind of what I thought it would go like. Uh, everyone thought he would come out there guns blazing like Gary Toonin did. Gary Toonin kind of set the bar high last month when he fought, but everyone recognized, you know, that these guys aren't the same men. Um, did Dennis didn't do much on his feet. He struggled to get a takedown, and he finally pulled guard, and uh, Walker, or whatever his name is, was dumb enough to try to dive into his guard and ended up getting caught in a toehold. What did you see here, and what would you make of Dennis? Uh, what do you think is going to 
I, I think I, I think this is you know this is what it was what it needed to be. He needed to get in there. He needed to get hit a couple times and figure out a way to sink or swim. And he definitely swam with the sharks um, Saturday night. But what are your thoughts overall when looking at seeing how he performed on Saturday? Actually, I thought I thought Dennis didn't do bad at all. He got he took some heavy shots, and I know that's not a good good thing as far as his defense goes. But at least we know he can take a shot because whether that guy's a power punch or not, he really loaded up on those hooks he landed. And he landed two or three really clean, really good ones. And Dan has panicked a little bit. You can tell that he was a little flushed after getting hit. But I've seen I've seen world-class jiu-jitsu guys get hit half as hard and totally lose all their technique and go defensive and just proceed to get beaten up by guys who are less than you know stellar fighters. So the fact that he took those shots and maintained some sort of composure – Shows some maturity, shows some courage, shows that he has a heart of a fighter. Maybe he doesn't have all the skills yet, but he does have the heart of a fighter. It was weird to me that he came out of that stance. It's like he's a, I don't know, a discount Conor McGregor with the long stance, the bouncy footsteps, the long kind of traditional martial arts type kicks he was using. Uh, I don't know that he has the athleticism or the poise in, in exchanges to use that, that repeatedly. And I was, I was kind of shocked that he came out like that. I thought he was going to be more desperate to get a takedown. And for a while, it seemed like he really was looking to exchange on the feet. Um, they need to bring him along slowly. He's to the mixed martial arts world. And he's got a bigger personality, and he's known by more people. And his skills line up with, like, his popularity is, his popularity is familiarity is pretty high. His actual applicable skills in mixed martial arts are still developing. So I think they just need to move him along with another group of guys who is, like, two and four, maybe two and two. Um, three and three, something like that. Just no level of guys. We can get his timing. We can find out how best to apply his in the context of a fight. Because you can have all the training and experience, but it's still a matter of knowing what to do under pressure. But definitely there. Definitely. I, thought I, did. I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen better, I've seen supposedly better grapplers in MMA not get submissions against guys who were as limited as the guy he defeated. So I have to give him credit. He went in there. He did it. He took some good shots. He made an adjustment in his, his strategy. He just you know, tried to pull guard, got him down, and finish. I mean, what else could you ask for a guy in his very first fight? Very true. Aaron Pico's got to spoil. Thinking everybody goes out and fights eight and no guys in their debut, their debut, or you know, nine and two guys in their second fight. That doesn't happen normally in mixed martial arts. You bring guys along slowly. So they're handling Dennis appropriately. So, do you think that they bring him in, bring in someone uh, similar to Walker to, for his next fight, or do they go with someone a little bit more uh, substantial here? I think they go along, along the same lines as Walker, because when you're building a prospect, you want to find somebody who has a skill set that can challenge a hole that your guy has, but not so dominant in that skill set that they can really make them pay for it. Like, if you have him against a striker, you want a guy who can hit hard, but not a knockout guy, because if the guy touches your guy, because his defense isn't great, he might put him away. If your guy is a striker, you might put him up against a guy who has a wrestling background, but not a high-level one, a guy who can have, who can teach him a lesson without giving him a loss, or if they, in fact, give them a loss, they don't get the elite or the potential elite talent beaten out of them because they were so overmatched. So they'll probably bring in somebody like Walker, uh, you know, a guy with decent grappling skills, maybe a high high school level, low college level wrestling and some decent striking just to let Dennis figure out the range and figure out the pace, figure out his comfort zone, because it's really a lot to, I mean as a person who's competed yourself, you know this, I'm just speaking from what I've seen and what guys have told me, 
big adjustment to going from no strikes to strikes, even if you spar first. I mean, there's a gap between the sparring and the actual intensity of a fight and the nerves of a fight being on TV. And he's going to be put on TV because he's got a name and the pressure that comes with that. So, I mean, you know exactly how that goes. And they just want to acclimate him to it before they, they take a step up. I mean, he might have star potential. You, they, you can't afford to lose stars in this market. Ask the UFC. You can't afford to have any stars get knocked off in this market. Do you think he has star potential? Or is he someone that people... Do you, do you know what the, the term X-Pac heat is? Have you ever heard this? Uh, yeah, yes. So basically, for those, who, those listeners who do not know, um, there's a professional wrestler named Sean Waltman, a.k.a. X-Pac, and he used to run with DX. You know, DX was one of the most popular groups in the time, but X-Pac had what was known as X-Pac heat. In pro wrestling, you either have heat because fans love you and they cheer for you, or you have heat because fans hate you and they boo your guts. Well... X-Pac heat is where you get neither. People just want you to go the fuck away. Just go away. Get off of my TV. And Dylan Dennis, for me right now, has X-Pac heat. Just get off my television. He... So you're saying he, he, he is that one, two, three kid heat. So. No, he has straight X-Pac heat. Get off of the TV. Yes, he is high-level grab. He's one of the best jiu-jitsu players in the United States and in the game today. Hands down. But the rest of the foolishness, even his stance, trying to bounce around like like Connor, the rest of that foolishness, just leave it alone, please, just leave it alone. But see, you know, and it's like this is gonna bleed over to boxing a little bit. You know, Adrian Broner, correct? From boxing. Yes. Broner, his, he just had a fight what a week ago. His fight was one of was one of the top three highest rated fights of the year on Showtime, and that's with heavyweight fights and guys who are elite guys in championship fights. A guy who's nowhere near a title at 140 or 147 and has lost his last two fights was one of the highest rated fights this year on Showtime because he has a personality. People, Some people like him. Some people just want him to go away. And when people don't like you or they want you to go away, they want to see some. They don't want to see you get led away quietly. They want to see you get beat up on your way out. Dennis can do something like that because who was Asian Broder? He was the discount Floyd Mayweather with Dylan Dennis. Discount Conor McGregor? So if he can irritate enough people and make enough enemies, he can get something like that Josh Koscheck heat where people just don't like you. And if people don't like you enough, that's better than being like Tyron Woodley where people really don't care. If people don't want you around and they want to see you gone, they still have a feeling they want you gone. They, they feel you don't deserve the opportunity. And they will tune in each and every time to see someone expose you. And that's what, that's what I think he has a chance. I don't know if he'll be a star, like a popular star, but as far as a heel... Uh, he's he's doing a pretty good job of that right now. Yeah, I guess so. I'm just not the biggest. Um... Everybody's talking about him. I mean, he's he made a debut against a losing fight, got it with a losing record. He was on the main card on TV, and everybody is talking about it. That in and of itself tells me all I need to know. Yeah, yeah you're definitely right about that, but I'm not going to argue you there. Two other guys I wanted to talk about was um, Emmanuel Sanchez and Rafael Lovato Jr. Now, let's start with Lovato just because we're sticking with the grappling theme here. Lovato finishes Gerald Harris in the first round of the fight. I think it was one minute and 11 seconds. What did you think about this, man? Because you and I were um, texting each other back and forth about this, I think, on Sunday about how ridiculous it looked. What are your thoughts about this fight there? I'm a Gerald Harris fan. Like, I I used to talk to him back when MySpace was a thing. (laughs) So, like, I know Gerald Harris a little bit. He's a cool guy. 
an athletic fighter. He has skills. I mean, he was like three and one in the UFC when they cut him. He can fight. He's got good stand up. He's got good wrestling. He's very explosive. He's punishing on the ground. But for the life of me, I had no idea why he was so comfortable being on the ground with Lovato Jr. Before you go forward, man, you're still fight. breaking up a little bit. Before you go forward, you're still breaking up some. Okay. You got me now? Whatever you're doing there, you sound better, but you're still, you're like, you're fading in and out. Let me move over a little bit. This is much better. Whatever you're doing right now is much better. Okay, you got me? No, I can't hear you. <laughs> now it's worse again. Okay, how about this? That's good. Better. All right. Yeah. My whole issue with him is, and you're a grappler, so you can speak to this. The later it goes in a fight, the harder it is to finish the missions. You get a little tired. You get a little sweaty. You know, your timing's a little bit off. The grip's not there. So in round two of a fight, you might be able to survive on the ground with someone like Lovato Jr. or Damian Maya. We've seen it happen before. But in a round one, in the first minute, when everybody's dry and nobody's really built up a sweater, had any exhaustion, settling in someone's guard like that is pretty much a death sentence, and that's what happened. I don't know if Harris panicked. I don't know if he overcompensated on his grappling defense, but it was just a bad decision. No offense to him. He's a good fighter, but that was a terrible decision. I, and when I was watching, I was like, he's going to get tapped in the next 30 seconds. So I kept saying to myself, I was like, there is no way he should be this comfortable on the ground. And no sooner did I say it, he get tapped out. Now, do you think... Well... He, he took this fight on four days' notice. He was on the couch. He said the day before, a couple days before, eating pizza. Stuff in his face. But Tuesday, it was announced that he has signed a multi-fight deal with Bellator. So he's coming back. Do you think he took this fight just for that purpose? Because he wanted to get back in and he knew he could leverage it. I mean, he's taking a fight against someone as dangerous as the Vato on four days' notice. He wasn't taking a fight against a debuting Dylan Dennis on four days' notice. He was taking a fight against someone who's putting on a pretty impressive run right now. Do you think he did that just for the purpose of getting back into the fight game? I don't. I never thought he was really done when he announced his retirement last October. Or last December, excuse me. He last fought in October. But, I, I mean... I got the impression he was just frustrated because he couldn't get on the big promotion. That's the impression I got. I mean, I was under the impression that he was going to pop back up in the UFC somehow, to be honest with you. But I was definitely caught off guard here. And, and um, yeah, I was definitely surprised. Well, I, I, some people might think of this as a, might lose respect or, or think I'm disrespecting when I say this. But if that was his plan, then kudos to him. That shows somebody's thinking with a business mind. Because they need somebody to come in who's credible. You're credible. There's no way you sign in for one fight. I would do that because then you're you're leaving your future in the air to them. If he's smart, which it seems he is, and his management is smart. No, we're we want a multi-fight contract. So even if I get blown out in this fight, I'm going to get multiple opportunities to show what I can do and use this as a springboard or force y'all to pay me more to keep me in the organization. So if that's what he did. Then I, I've got good. he decided to take a safer way out just to not take any damage and come back the next time with a full camp under him I can't hate him for that either in fact I would almost think better of him because otherwise it just showed he made a kind of a big error but if he did that did what we're saying he did that's smart that's smart business and I wish more guys would 
but to treat it like a business instead of thinking they're doing these guys a favor. You're doing millionaires and billionaires favors. Stop doing millionaires favors. Get your money. Get your contract right. Definitely, I, I can see what you're saying where you're headed there. So, and he was the he wasn't the only man to get um, re-signed. As Melvin Manhoof is also coming back to Bellator, he last fought in April of last year, I believe, where he fought against um, Rafael Carvalho, and he lost a split decision there. What are your thoughts about that fight? And or excuse me, what are your thoughts about him coming back? Does he still have uh, a lot of value? Well, the fact that he actually beat Carvalho first fight and was forced to take a rematch, which he lost, I think he has something left. But the main thing with him is he either usually wins dynamically or he loses spectacularly. And that's all you can ask as an organization. But he did win the first fight. They robbed him in the first fight. He should already have the title. But, you know, MMA judging is, you know, I can't even call it incompetent because that's just insulting incompetent people. So, but, um, yeah, he's a good guy to have back. He's not really a contender in the truest sense. He's an action fighter. He has a fan base, and he's guaranteed to leave all the fans happy when they see him perform. Yeah, he 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 definitely um, fights in a way that is exciting. Just because you know, and like I was writing about him the other day, either he goes out or he puts you out. That's the only yeah. that, like that's how it goes out. Somebody's that's going night night. Like somebody's going night night at some point in time. Oh yeah, before we get done, like. What was Sam Cecilia thinking against Emmanuel Sanchez? He I wasn't. have no idea. He he let the guy scramble. He was on, he was in an extended ground exchange when he's never done that ever. He's never been really a, a grappler type of guy. So he gets an extended ground exchange, lets the guy get full position. I was I was just like, what what is your corner like? I don't know. It was just the words just be frustrated. It was just embarrassing to let a guy basically lock up a submission then fall down and submit you with it. It's like he wasn't even aware of what was happening when it was happening. I don't know if he froze or if he's really just not that good, but that was a really bad look for a guy who seemed to have got his, some of his momentum back and had a chance to really put a stamp on it. Even with the loss, an exciting loss against Sanchez would have done wonders for him. And Sanchez is usually the kind of guy who goes back and forth with somebody. He doesn't finish people like this. And for the fact that he finished Sam Cecilia, that's a really bad look for him in my opinion. Definitely really bad look. Really, really, really bad look for him, though, because he got uh, dominated in that fight there. What do you think about Sanchez, though? What's his ceiling? Uh, he's got a lot of potential. I, I like his style. I think he's got a good skill set. I just don't think he's a finisher, and that's what's going to be the problem that holds him back against the league guys. He, I mean, finishing Sam Cecilia doesn't prove anything to me, and I don't think he can finish people. I don't think he can finish the other guys they have in the division, and that lack of finishing ability is what's going to cause him problems moving forward because he can win a fight he can out hustle you but if you're winning the fight he doesn't have any sort of way to turn it around on you he's not going to knock you out he's not going to submit you do you think that that win over uh Sanchez's win over Strauss is like the highest it'll go you think that win over Strauss is the highest he'll, he'll go uh the win over Strauss well, I'm, I guess considering the fact that Pitbull has been fighting for a long time and been in a lot of wars, I guess he's still vulnerable. I just, well, let me, get, let me put, you know what, I have to back off of that. Given the way the division is now, he's got a 50-50 chance of winning a title. Even though he's not a great finisher, all the guys ahead of him have been fighting for a lot longer and been in a lot of wars. And I feel that even though they're still good fighters, they're, they're ready to be taken. And he pushes enough of a pace, and he's a physical and tough enough fighter that he can push them over the edge. It's just 
like I said, his finishing ability isn't particularly stand out to me. And I think that's problematic when you need that many rounds or that much volume to do the kind of damage he's trying to do. It gives them more opportunities to get to you, if that makes any sense. Definitely, definitely there. Um, let's see, let's see. Who else that I wanted to talk about this week? Uh, the other news piece I wanted to talk about involved Mackenzie Dern. Um, as you know, she's fighting next week. I can't remember who she's fighting. She's fighting on, on the 12th, next Saturday. Uh, and, correct, correct, correct. Um, and I need you to adjust yourself on the mic again. But she's fighting on the 12th. But it was announced yesterday that she was asked to leave uh, MMA lab by John Crouch. Basically... And I want to read her um, explanation because it kind of caught me off guard. I got to find it real quick. But, yeah, she was asked by John Crouch to leave um, MMA Lab. And now she is kind of doing her own thing a week before the fight. Let me see real quick. If I can find it, um, because the comments kind of caught me. So they were a little confusing to me. Yeah. So so this is what she says. So in relation to the lab, after my last fight, Coach John Crouch just invited me to leave the team. I think, I think really we don't have a one hundred percent understanding. I think he knows his decisions more than me. I think it's just the consistency. He wanted me to be there more often than I was, but everything happens for a reason. I'm not just training. I'm not the person that the next day I'm back in the, in the academy. I like to be able to be on the beach and relax and miss to be on the mats and want to be on the mats. I don't like to feel the pressure to be on the mats. I'm, uh, I'm on the mats since I was three years old. For me at 25, when I have the time to rest and everything, then the next time it's like, man, I want to train. I have to be, I have to, I have, I, I like to take that. I like to have that drive. So basically what she's saying is she she likes her time away from training. That's how I un- understood that. Now, to me, this should be alarming as fuck. Because first and foremost, she she hasn't looked she didn't look good in her last UFC fight or in her her UFC debut. I think she was pushed into the promotion too soon. I think she should have fought for it and at least one or two more times. But okay, she's here now and she asked for this fight this soon and they gave it to her that's another mistake but if you followed Mackenzie Dern's grappling career before she left she was also losing in grappling before she dove headfirst into MMA now somebody tell you it's because of the making the transition from jiu-jitsu to MMA kind of messes up your BJJ game a little bit there is that conversation there but hearing, reading, and listening to these comments here makes me wonder if her drive is really there. Because here it is, you got a fight in nine days, ten days yesterday, and you're talking about you don't want to be in the gym that much. We see, if you follow her on Instagram, you know, she's out and about. And, you know, and I'm not, never one to judge a person, even though I may be judging a little bit here now, but this is the fight game. You can't be doing you don't see anyone else doing all of that so this is alarming to me um yeah this is like israel adesanya we're gonna talk about him in a minute too he parties hard as hell too you can see it on 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 his instagram but come fight time 
he's buckled down in, in training. John Jones, the same way. This is alarming to me. What were your thoughts about that when you when you uh, heard her comments? Well, after I read it, I had a similar It seems like she's kind of burnt out. And the thing about it, especially with women's mixed martial arts, a lot of them aren't lifelong martial artists. Some of them aren't even lifelong athletes. So in some cases, the problem with the development is it's not even a skill thing. It's literally the grind. And you hear a lot of fighters say this. It's not fighting. It's not training, per se. It's the grind of doing it on a consistent basis every day, two a day, one a day, consistently going to the gym and making that progress, doing that conditioning work and doing the technique work, doing the sparring rounds. That's what actually separates you know, any high-level athlete and any fighter from the rest of the people. It's, that, it's those reps. And it seems like she's saying, I spent so much time on the mat before. I'm kind of burnt out. I need a break. I need a break. I need to be able to come in when I want to come in. I need to be able to come in when I feel like it. And for you to, ex- to excel in anything, you can't do it when you feel like it. That's what casual people like me do. If you do it when you feel like it, if you're a crappy parent, you parent when you feel like it. Best parents parent all the time. The best athletes working almost all the time. So it's concerning from that degree because it means there's going to be a ceiling on how far she can go. The thing about it is you need to start with it. They're trying to handle her very particularly, and they're giving her matchups. Once again, can exploit some of the holes, but these people don't have the athleticism or the depth of skill to really punish her. Ashley Yoder, she she's not a top striker nor a knockout striker. She's more of a grappler. That's a good matchup for her. Cooper, Cooper is more of a I can't hear you, man. I can't hear you. Your audio is going down. Okay, got me now. Yes. Okay, Cooper is more of a boxer who's got a grappling background. I mean, I know her camp very well, so a good matchup for Dern, because Dern's a better athlete. She's a far better grappler. And her style of striking is going to give her a lot of opportunities against Cooper. The problem's going to come down to conditioning and if she can execute under duress. So right now, she shouldn't really suffer a loss as a result of it. But moving forward, she's going to have more problems because it's going to take a sense of on the UFC, I might have some concerns because they probably signed her to a big contract thinking that she's all into this. And if she's not, they could have another Paige Van Zandt incident all over again. Definitely. And something I, I, when I saw this, because she's moving out to a camp on her own and kind of doing her own thing out there, what the trend that we've seen for this is that when men and women leave big gyms and try to build a gym around themselves and around their own needs, they struggle. You can't be the biggest fish in a small pond and expect to go into the UFC and be able to compete. There have to be people there that push you all the time, which is why I am a fan of the big gym uh, theory. Because you have to you have to be chasing after somebody in the gym all day, every day. Someone who's there is, who is there kicking your ass consistently to get better. And going off by yourself, especially at this point in in her career, I think it's the worst decision she could make right now. Yeah, I'd have to agree. She's not experienced enough to do it. Um, a Rashad Evans could do it, even though he's on the decline. Maybe a Claudia Gadelia could do it, because she's got the experience, world-class girls. But she's so early, Dern is so early in her career, that it, it seems like it could backfire on her. But on in her favor, the women's divisions aren't particularly deep. They're not really deep, and a lot of girls in there don't have a lot of fights. There's, I mean, she's got as many fights as Amanda Bobby Cooper. She only had like three or four less than Ashley Yoder, 
when she starts getting into that top 13, top 12, top 10, that's when she's going to start running into roadblocks. The same way the Paige Rizan started running into I can't hear you. Um, I don't think this is a really good move for her, but I know she's getting good quality sparring. I know that much. It's just a matter that she have an overall MMA coach who can help direct her and prepare her appropriately. That's the biggest question. Not the, not finding quality sparring or quality instruction. It's quality MMA instruction, which the lab had. And I don't know that the guy she's working with now have because she's going between camps instead of having everything under one house. That's also problematic. And what's interesting is you mentioned Claudia Gadelia and Rashad Evans, two individuals who left big gyms and kind of formed gyms around themselves. But they both lost when they did that. Well, Rashad more than Claudia. They, I mean, they had periods of success. We can't ignore that. They did have periods of success. The problem, the difference I have with Dern is, like, even though Dern's left, the fact she's been with the lab for her whole career, she's going to do what they trained her to do. It takes more than one camp to make these sort of adjustments. So she's still going to be doing what they taught her at the lab for the next fight or two. It's not going to not be until the second or third fight after that you'll see any real progression or any changes because she's been, they built her whole MMA personality. So we're just going to get more of what we've seen recently. But like I said, the, with Claudia, Claudia had some renewed success when she moved out. She just kind of ran into Jessica Andrade. I don't know that Dern's good enough to get to that level of that caliber of opponent before she starts losing, especially if she's not 100% focused because Gadelia was focused and Evans was focused. And we don't we don't see that with Dern. This is it's like you said, you should be very concerned. She's got all the talent and she's got all the backing. But she doesn't seem to have the dedication, and this is the wrong sport at the wrong time for her to start losing focus at this stage of the game when she's not even really a star or demanding top 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 dollar from anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to um, disagree with you that there. Does that change your idea of how she does in this next coming in this upcoming fight? I don't like the reason I don't think it changes anything is because the only thing that would change how the fight goes is if Cooper diversifies her approach to the fight game. Like, I know her camp. I know who she's smart when I know the people training her. So if she makes some adjustments, the fight she can win the fight right now. She would, she could always win the fight because she's a good enough defensive grappler, a good enough wrestler, and a good enough striker to win a decision. I don't think she could knock Dern out, but to expose some of Dern's limitations on the feet and outwork her to a decision. But the fact of the matter is there's specific holes that Cooper has that Dern's pressure and her volume and her grappling nature tend to take advantage of. Cooper's lost to anybody who's pressured her. She's lost to anybody who's a superior grappler. Dern is a volume striker who applies pressure and is a superior grappler. So essentially, Cooper loses at this type of fighter all the time. The question is going to be, is does Dern have the conditioning to push the pace and to get the submissions and takedowns when she needs them? Or is Cooper going to make the strategical changes to use her footwork in her boxing to win? I have no idea what she's going to do. I've talked to her camp about it, but I have no idea what kind of game plan they're going to have going in. If she does what she always does, she's going to get submitted. If she does something different, she has a chance to win. And it's really that simple. Okay. All right. So we'll see uh, next week in there. So let's talk about some of these other fights that were announced this week. Uranian, Jacek, and Tisha Torres. Uh, I saw you posted some stuff on Twitter about this. What, is, what are your initial thoughts about this uh, women's strawweight fight? I'm just not a fan of it, to be honest. Um, Joanna, 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 and I've said this for years. I've been saying this for years. She's been in all these five-round long, back-and-forth, high-activity fights. Even the fights that are easy have been at a high pace and moved five rounds. Against Andrade, five rounds, high pace, moving, throwing constant bounce of punches. 
against Caroline Kovacevic. Five rounds, throwing thousands of punches, constantly moving. The fight with Gedalia, the first two were kind of grueling affairs. The fight with Rose, she got knocked out cold. The second fight, she didn't get knocked out, but she was absorbing all sorts of punishment. So she's had all these defenses. She's been constantly active, and all her fights have been going, if not five rounds, mostly five rounds, where she's been giving, getting as good as she's been giving. And now she's fighting another fighter who's a high-activity fighter who throws a lot of volume. Torres isn't a big hitter, but she throws a lot. And right now, I don't think Joanna needs to be getting hit a lot. I think she needs to take a break, like a six-month, seven-month, maybe a year break, take some time to recover, make some other adjustments in her game plan, and then come back. Because the fight with Torres doesn't do anything. Torres already lost to Namajunas. A win over Torres doesn't bring, bring you closer to the title. It doesn't do anything for you at all. It's just another win. And that means she's taking the fight at straw weight again, which has already been established that it's a bad weight for her. It's a tough weight cut. So you're having a person who gets hit way too often, got knocked out within the year, and got beat up within the year, taking a fight at a weight that she can't really make easily anymore. That doesn't sound like good management or a good idea for her camp at all. Okay, okay there. All right, so I think this is going to be an interesting fight too as well. So are you picking Torres to win? Uh, I think Torres wins it. I mean, I, I see how Torres will lose it because Torres doesn't have the length and she has to work twice as hard to get in and out of range. But Joanna is not a top-end athlete. Joanna's durability isn't there and her recuperative ability isn't there. And m most importantly, her intimidation factor is not there anymore. Nobody's scared of her anymore. So she's not going to just land a couple shots and you're going to see people's spirits break. People are going to push through. And Torres needs a big win. Even though Joanna's lost to Namajunas twice, a win over Joanna puts, moves Torres up. A win over Torres does nothing for Joanna. So Torres has more to win and to lose at this fight, at this stage. And I think she's hungrier. I think she's fresher. And I, I think Joanna really should move up another weight class, take some time off and move up another weight class. I just think this is a bad decision. It, it might not be, but I, I just don't see how this benefits her at all. Okay, all right. Um, we have Israel Adesanya with Brad Tavares. Man, I saw this and I was like, nope, this is not the right fight. Not right now. His third um, bout in the UFC and he's already getting a guy. Let's see. Already getting Tavares, who not only comes with a hell of a lot of experience, but he's ranked number 10 in the division. To me, this is, this is, this is bad matchmaking match match making on the UFC's uh, side. What are your thoughts about this fight here? It's a really dangerous fight for Adesanya, but it's not unwinnable. Tavares is very experienced, but he's not a top-end athlete. He gets by on physicality and volume, and a lot of his volume is on the feet. I mean, he can wrestle a little bit, but he's not a great wrestler, and he's not a great... He can put Adesanya in some bad spots. He can beat him up on the ground. He might even be able to submit him if Adesanya is just completely awful, which I don't know that he is because I haven't seen him on, I haven't see, seen him on the ground for extended periods. I don't know that defensively he'll just give something up. But Adesanya is going to have a huge athletic advantage, and Adesanya is going to have the striking advantage as well. And even though Tavares has the skills to make it a wrestling match, the fact of the matter is he's more of a high volume physical kickboxer, which means he's going to give Adesanya opportunities to counter and lead on him. The biggest problem. Tavares is going to have is this. When plan A is working, he's great. If plan A isn't working, when he has to go to a plan B, he generally does not do it as well. And all the losses he's had is when he's had to go to plan B. And 
there's a good chance that he might have to go to a plan B against Adesanya just off the athleticism, the footwork, and the counterpunching. He might be forced to go into a plan B. And generally speaking, in all his losses, when he's had to make an adjustment, he hasn't been very good at that. When his volume and physicality doesn't dictate the pace of the fight, he generally loses. That's been the story on him. So it's very dangerous because he's tough enough and he's got enough grit to push through and to press Adesanya and to make him work and to put him in bad positions. But it's also it's dangerous for him because in doing that, he exposes himself to being countered, to being thrown down, to being kneed, punched, and all those other things that could lead to a knockout or take so much out of him on the feet that he doesn't have anything left to finish on the ground. So it's, it's, I actually think it's good matchmaking. It's just very risky. You has star potential, and you might get him knocked off. But in taking that chance, he's facing a guy who's going to give him opportunities to win. Okay, I can see that analysis there. Um, I think this is a bad fight because if he wins, you have to. Who do you throw him in there next? Against like there's so many guys in that top ten that I wouldn't want him anywhere near, including Tavares yeah. right now. You're right. If he beats him, then you have to move him back up. You can't move backwards. You sure as hell can't. He's so not in the ring. Him, so now, yeah. So now you trapped him. So I agree with that. They're moving him too fast. It's a winnable fight, but if he wins it. So you're going to top 10, now you're fighting the top 15 guy? Well, how does that work? You have to go up. Same thing, and I hate to bring Paige Van Zandt up again, as they did to her, they moved her up too fast, and they forced her into a position where she had to fight someone like Rose Namajunas. And we know what happened to her ever since she fought Rose. It's been a downhill slide since. And that, that could happen to Adesanya. Dude, Israel Adesanya isn't even ranked in the top 15. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I understand why he's a good striker, but there are some holes, and like I said, they're 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 all in on him. They're not doing him any favors. I mean, if he wins, it's a very legitimate fight, but you essentially sign his death his death certificate because the other guys up there are so much better wrestlers and so much better grapplers. I can't see him. I can't see him getting too far much further along. I could easily see him losing one or two, two fights in a row, maybe three, if he gets the wrong matchup. Yeah, that's definitely not a. A good look there at all. I saw this and I was like, "Hell no, this is not this is not what they want to be doing right now." Because he's someone you know that I want to give. I'm going to give you props because I was thinking about it directly in the matchup. You actually brought that to my attention. That okay, what happens next if he wins? He's going to be forced to fight someone in the top ten. And I was like, I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking about the actual fight. I didn't even think about two steps later where he's going to be forced to fight someone like a Romero or I mean, you know, like Derek Brunson who's fine. Let's say he wins, and then they put him in at, at 10. You got David Branch, you give him that fight. Derek Brunson, maybe. Maybe Michael Bisping, if you can, if you can convince that. But after that, you have Kelvin Gastelum, Chris Weidman, Luke Rocco, Jacare Sosa, Yoel Romero, and Vitor Belfort. Do you put him in there with Vitor? Probably not, because him and Bisping are trying to fight and retire. So maybe Derek, Derek Brunson and David Branch. But outside of that, who, who else do you put him with? And even even in the case of Brunson, Brunson can wrestle so he can get out of sight. He's a big enough, strong enough athlete and good enough athlete. And then you got Branch. He's not a great athlete, but he's such a good grappler. If he gets his hands on Adesanya, it's it's all over. He will finish. He will finish if he gets his hands on him. Like everybody from that point on is capable of beating him. I mean, even Tavares is capable of beating him. But it's like it's a really bad style matchup because it exploits such a hole in his game. But the UFC is all in on him, and they're, it seems like they're going all in. They're going big. They definitely are all in. Uh, let's see who else. We have Michael Kiesa and Anthony Pettis. This fight is being rebooked from uh, the Conor McGregor rampage. What are your thoughts about this here? Um, I think it's a good fight. 
Um, I think Pettis should win it. It's a fight. It's a kind of fight. Pettis should win, and it's a good matchup for him. He's facing a guy who's not a good athlete, who's a busy and physical striker, but not a technical one, and a guy who is susceptible to body shots. And we know that Anthony Pettis is very dangerous when he's kicking to the body. Um, the only danger he has is a matter of him being able to maintain the range and not get pushed up against the cage and smothered by Kaseya on the ground. But he should be able to essentially walk him down and stop him. I'm expecting him to win by a knockout. I mean, that's pretty clear pretty clear and uh, concise there. Junior Dos Santos. If he loses, then he needs to talk about retirement, like seriously. But he should win this and he should win spectacularly. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll take that there. JDS against Blagovi Ivanov. I don't know what to make of DeSantis anymore because I don't know if his chin exists anymore. Like, the reason he's in the position he is now because his camp made him fight Kane in a rematch when he shouldn't have fought him and they let the fight go too long. And ever since then, his ability to take punishment has been really shaky. And the style he uses, as far as with his in and out movement, moving on those straight lines, he has to be able to take punishment for him to be effective. He can still hit hard, he's still fast, he's still dynamic, he's still strong, he's still defend takedowns. But I don't know if he can take a shot anymore. And he's coming off of not being inactive again as well. I mean, I know more about him than the other guy, so I, I guess I could lean JDS. But given how shaky his shit has looked recently, uh, I just don't have any faith in, in him. It, I, I just don't have very much faith in him anymore. anymore. I, I don't know if he can take any sort of punishment from any guy who can, who can hit it all. And in heavyweight, everybody can hit. Everybody doesn't even have the option of becoming a wrestler. He, he's not even a guy who can get takedowns left and right. So... When he starts getting hit, then what happens? I'm, I'm totally with you on on that. Uh, last one I want to talk about was Saida Wad and Ryan Couture. This is this fight kind of caught me on a on an interesting note. This is a Bellator main co-main event coming up. Does this fight kind of interest you at all? Um, I mean, it's interesting just because I like seeing Ryan Couture fight because he's like like a regular person who's become a pro fighter he's not a standout athlete he seems to be a student of the game and he has a well-structured game that gets by an execution so i'm very i'm always interested to see how he does but as far as like any sort of real notoriety or excitement not really just another fight just another fight yeah pretty much i mean i like the guy though but he's not a world title contender he's not a pound for pound kind of guy he's not the guy who's going to set the ufc on fire He's just a guy who's fighting and making an honest living doing it. I mean, I think I think he could be a better coach than a fighter. I really believe that. Interesting analysis there. I, I, like I said, that better coach than a fighter. So um, that's that's really all I kind of had to talk about today. I uh, didn't really have a whole lot to really go over because it's kind of a quiet week. Let everybody know what you're working on um, this week, man. Give everybody the lowdown. Um, I have an article that just came out today on MMA ratings talking about the good, the bad, the ugly of Sarah Kaufman and her fighting, and her, her basically her approach to fighting. She'll be challenging for a title tomorrow in Invicta, so I want everybody to check it out so you get a better idea of what to expect when you see her in the cage. I'm also, I also have a piece coming out on Mackenzie Dern and the matchup with Amanda Bobby Cooper that'll be on Combat Press. And then for next week, I'll have an article coming out on MMA ratings the do's and don'ts for Raquel Pennington to beat Amanda Nunes. And I'll also have an article coming out on Severe MMA, which will be five for fighting, the five main things to define Amanda Nunes' MMA game. Hmm. 
All right, that's pretty awesome there. So I'm covering the usual. You know, I got a piece coming on, on McKenzie during to kind of build off of the comments we made tonight. Definitely covering pro wrestling and grappling as always and, and football. The, the draft was last week, so there's a lot to talk about there. So as usual, man, there's a lot going on always and forever. Let, let me ask you one question before we go. Let me ask you one question. As a grappling guy yourself, does this personally kind of hurt you that Darren seems to be losing focus? You know, like it might have a stigma as far as how grapplers are perceived. You know, um, I mean. No, because she's just one amongst many. I mean, Ronda Rousey was I mean, a grappler. She is kind of the face. Huh? I, I know, but Ronda, you know, Ronda was kind of the face. She kind of sold it, and it's so early in it to be seeing these kind of cracks in her, her facade. It's kind of, I don't know, as a grappler, I didn't know if it bothered you because it kind of. You know, you're representing us. It's like a boxer. But boxers are people. You're representing us. So I don't um, know if it's the same way in the grappling community. No, I, I think that there's plenty of names out there. I mean, hell, you know, Dylan Dennis and Rafael Lovato uh, both won this this weekend with some slick uh, jujitsu. So I don't think, you know, McKinsey Darden doesn't speak for everyone. But this, I would be concerned here um, listening to how she's talking because, yeah, you know, she may have been able to do this throughout her career. And still win, but she was losing in grappling events before she got on the big stage. I still remember that one event I was watching where Alexis Davis almost armbarred the shit out of her because she caught her sleeping. Um, she jumped, jumped the armbar crazy quick and almost broke her arm. Um, so this isn't new. This isn't new, and this doesn't surprise me too much. Okay, well, I didn't know the background, so thank you for that. Definitely, man. Definitely. So, as always, let, let everybody know where they can find our content every week. You can find us on YouTube, um, MMA Ratings, and SoundCloud. Also on iTunes. And what's the other one? I think there's an, on the internet, it's an F, MMA, MMA Ratings on FM. They have an internet radio show. They have a similar on there as well. Um, please leave comments. And if you have any interests or questions you want, you want us to discuss, contact us on Twitter or uh, leave a on the website for MMA ratings, and we will gladly address anything and everything you want to talk about. Hmm. Okay. So, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out, and everybody, thank you for uh, joining us today, and everyone have a uh, fantastic uh, evening. Yeah, guys, everybody. Thanks a lot, Rafael.